right, this morning we're going to be back in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Well, we're starting a, a little bit of a new, a new section actually this morning. Um, Paul is starting to turn the corner a little bit. Um, but this morning we're going to be talking about will God surprise in missions and spiritual obedience? And I'll begin reading in verse 11, uh, Romans chapter 8. Verse 11 says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So let's pray once again, Father, again, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word. Father, we ask that you would help us this morning to understand your word. And Father, we ask that you would just change your hearts at the hearing of your word today. And Father, we just thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we get into this section, we see a lot of new terms there. Um, let me just give those terms to you, then we'll go back and uh, talk about them individually. First we see brethren, then we see debtors. The next term in verse 13 is mortify. Um, then we'll see sons of God. The next week we'll look at adoption, Abba, and Father. Try to clarify what those terms mean, make sure they're clear in our minds what they mean. Um, then, so let's go back and we'll begin with uh, verse 12 where it says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Uh, in thinking about who are the brethren, uh, it's a good place to go back and see what the therefore is all about. Because when you look at, when you see that word therefore, that means something was said previously that you need to take note of. All right, brethren, who are the brethren? Well, the brethren are the people back in verse one that are not the condemned, that have no condemnation. The brethren are the ones in verse 2 that are made free from the law of sin and death. The brethren in verse 4 are the ones that are empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the righteousness of the law. 
The brethren are the ones that have the mind of the spirit, verse 5. The brethren are the spiritually minded who have life and peace, verse 6. The brethren are the ones who please God because they are not carnally minded, verse 7 and 8. And the brethren are the ones who have the spirit of Christ, verses 9 and 10. The brethren are the ones who are believers and are part of the family of God. So it's kind of good to go back and remind ourselves what these passages are talking about and who they're talking about. Um, <clears throat> then the next term that we see is debtors. Who are the debtors? And why are they in debt? Well, the debtors are the same people that are brethren. Why are they debtors? The debtors, they're debtors because of God's goodness. If you remember way back in chapter 1 and 2, we talked about God's goodness is um, long-suffering so that others would come to faith in Christ. It's his goodness that allows the world to continue on so the others can experience his grace. <clears throat> uh, they are debtors for the same reason that makes them brethren. If we went back through that list again, all the reasons that made them debtors or brethren are the same ones that made them uh, debtors. I just confused that, didn't I? <laughs> if we go back to our list that we just went through, verses 1 through 11, and we decided who the brethren are, well, they're debtors for the same reason that they're brothers, okay? For the same reason they're in the family of God makes them a debtor. Uh, we are debtors because without the grace of God, we could not be brethren. Without the grace of God, we couldn't be in God's family. This debt that we have as believers is an obligation to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. So not only do we have a debt because of what God's done for us, but we have a obligation because of what God has done for us. And it's an obligation to be spiritually minded and not carnal minded you know we spent a lot of time talking about that then the third term there is mortify what is meant by mortify well it means it's an act that we continually do um, and we continually do it with lethal determination you know, you can describe that. You can, 
call soldiers in a battle, they're out there to mortify. They're out there to destroy the enemy. And that's what Paul is calling us to do, is to mortify. Paul is telling us here that we have an obligation to put to death that which causes us to sin. Paul is telling us we have an obligation to put to death the thing that causes death. You know, we learned already that it's our sin that causes death. But Paul is telling us that we need to put to death death. Verse 13, let me just remind you what it says. It says, For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Look back at uh, verses 10 and 11. It says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. So it's just a reminder that it's the sin that causes death. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, that's a very important thing to understand is that every believer has the Spirit of God dwelling in them. He that raised up Jesus from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So when you look with those two verses in mind and you read verse 13 again, you see that it's only through the spirit that we can put to death the thing that causes death. We, can't, we don't have power to do it on our own. And you might ask the question, how far do we need to go to put sin to death? I mean, do we just lightly acknowledge that we have sin and just go on? Or is there something more that we should do to put sin to death? Turn in your Bible over to um, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, the writer there kind of expands on or explains says putting sin to death in a little bit different way may help us to understand it a little better. Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> Verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So the writer here talks about sin as a weight that besets us. And it says it easily besets us. Now if you think about sin, about what it is, and 
You remember, I think it was in chapter 7 when Paul says, who can deliver me from this body of sin? Who can deliver me from this sin and death? It's like a, one of the ways a, a former kingdom ruler of the earth would punish someone for murder they would uh, take the person that murdered someone and they would take the victim, you know, the person they murdered, and tie it to them so that they would they'd walk around for the rest of their life with this dead body tied to them. And eventually, because of the corruption of that, it would kill them as well. But... That's kind of the picture that the writer here is giving us is that sin that easily besets us is a weight. And Paul says this body of sin that's on me, who can deliver me from it? It's a weight. It's a sin. And it easily besets us. It says we need to lay it aside Paul says in Romans that we need to mortify it. Not only do we lay it aside, but we've got to kill it. We've got to use lethal determination to kill that sin that easily besets us. Look at verse 2. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For to consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So when we're putting this sin to death, we shouldn't get weary in doing it. We should think about what cross or what Christ endured on the cross for that sin. Don't faint in your minds. Verse four it says, You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. It's a powerful statement. We haven't given our life striving against sin. We haven't given our life trying to mortify sin. So that puts a end gate or how far we should go to mortify sin unto death. Powerful statement. It just helps us to understand how God views our sin. We should do everything in our power to put it to death, to lay it aside. Verse 6, it says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure the chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? So there's a couple things there. 
and mortifying sin. You know, it seems that we have the opportunity to do all that we can to mortify the sin. Then there's that part that comes afterwards if we don't, where chastening comes into play, where God chastens us. Now, when I was studying this, I was reminded of what Jesus said. He says, um, if your eye offends you or if your foot offends you, it's better to pluck it out or to cut it off and enter to enter the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is that it's better to be blind or lame and mortifying sin and entering the kingdom of God than to have both eyes and both feet and not enter the God, into the kingdom of God. So I want you to understand that sin, the seed of sin is in our minds. So when Jesus said that it's better for you to cut off your foot and cast it away and be lame, it wasn't the foot that caused you to sin. It's not your eye that causes you to sin. It's your mind. It's your mind. You know, one of the scriptures in Romans talks about we're swift to shed innocent blood. There's a lot of ways you can think about what it means to shed innocent blood. But I can guarantee you one thing, if you only have one foot, you're not going to be very swift at it. Okay? So the foot, losing a foot or losing an eye is a real reminder of what we need to do. It's a reminder that because of that, sin needs to be put to death. It's a reminder that our mind told our foot to do something. It's a reminder. But what we need to realizes that the seeds of sin is in our mind. We must understand that it is not the out, an outside force that causes us to resurrect sin in our, in our heart. And that's what we're doing. Christ died for our sin. And if we go back to it, we're just resurrecting it. So it starts in our mind. We do it in our mind first. All the sin that we have in our life that reoccurs in our life, that sin that easily besets us, starts in our mind. We make a decision about that in our mind. It's where it our, that's where it all starts. We need a renewed mind. Romans 12 tells us 
by the renewing of your mind. You, repl you replace old things and you replace them with new things. Renew your mind. Look at, turn over to James. Turn to the left a, a little bit from where you are in Hebrews to the book of James, or I mean to the right. Uh, James chapter 1, it says, in verse 13, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So James is just saying the same thing. It starts in our mind. It's that lust in our mind. We cannot put sin to death on our own. It is only through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, that we can put sin to death. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can conquer sin, which causes death. Every Christian has the Spirit in them, and they have it at the moment they repent and believe. It's not a later occurrence after someone believes. It happens at the same moment. The Christian has what is needed to mortify the deeds of the flesh. The Spirit has everything that he needs to mortify the deeds of the flesh, and that's the Spirit of God. So how does that work? You might be saying, okay, that's all good stuff to know, but... How does it work? How do we do that? How do we put sin to death? Well, first you have to acknowledge, you have to own your sin. You have to understand that it's in you already. It's not an outside force that's causing it to happen in you. It's not an outside force making you do it. I remember I was talking to my grandchildren one time and and he was saying, my brother or my sister made me do something. Oh, you have kids. Have you ever heard that argument? Well, my brother made me do that. He did something and made me do it. You know what? No one can make you, anyone else do anything that they don't already want to do, okay? So how do we mortify that sin that's in us? Well, we first have to understand that it is our sin. It's not someone else's sin, it's our sin, it's my sin. And when it's that sin that so easily besets us, that is a powerful sin that has a hold on us. 
It's that sin that we just can't conquer on our own. So what do you do? We have to realize that you have to make a decision first to follow that sin or that thought. And you just ask God. You just say, God, you run to the Father. We'll see that next week. We have a Heavenly Father. We can go to Him. And I've heard some pastors say, we can run to Him and say, Daddy, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. We run and we cry out to God and say, God, I cannot conquer this sin on my own. I need your help. 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 It's like we talked about the winds a few weeks ago. We can hear it, we can feel it, but we don't know where it's coming from. And that help comes when we cry out to the Father for help with our sin that so easily besets us. He hears that cry and He helps us. Pretty soon when you do that enough, you'll understand, you'll say, you know what, there's that sin that's trying to sprout again. That seed of sin is trying to grow roots again. And you can repent of it and say, Father, there's that sin again. It's trying to come up. Help me. Help me. Back in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, it says, um, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? Those who are led by the Spirit and those who have received Him. While you're turning, go ahead and turn back to the left to John. I think this will be the last verse we'll look at today. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All those who are born of God, all those who believe his name, all those who repent and believe, they're the ones that become the sons of God. So if you're here today and 
This is something you've heard many times before. But it's not you. Cry out to God. Saying, Father, I want to be a son. Save me. And if you heard it and you are a son, be encouraged. Rejoice in your salvation. So let's stand. It's a spiritual birth that John is talking about. It's a spiritual birth. And when you've had that spiritual birth, you can live that spiritual life that's obedient to Christ. So let's pray. Father, again, we are just humbled by your word. Father, we thank you that you've given us a path to overcome that embedded sin in our heart and in our life. And Father, we, we thank you and we praise you that we're the one, that you're the one that we can run to for that help in time of need. That we can come boldly to the throne of grace and get that help. Father, we thank you and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So please remain standing for our final song.